0: Father, we ask you uh, to make us thankful people and alive with praise. In your son's name. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Well, the book of Psalms is this incredible songbook (laughs) that God has given us. 150 songs. Wow. Half written by King David uh, and the other half written during and after the exile in Babylon. So Psalms really covers centuries of Israel's history. By the time of Jesus, the Jewish people were literally singing and praying the Psalms every day, uh, allowing them to mould their character individually and as a community, to shape their worldview, to, uh, to help them view Scripture in a certain way, and to fuel and resource their lives and their hopes. Uh, and these were the songs that Jesus grew up singing. He really did. These were his, This was his his um, song track that he, he was always playing. And... Still today we pray and sing the Psalms all of the time. Uh, They're a crucial part of our relationship with God. I started the journey with Psalms when I was 10 years old and I was sitting next to my mother in gatherings and writing out the Psalms of David, knowing that I'd been named after him. I thought I'd write them all out and that's what I did during church. Fantastic. When I was 16, my first song that I wrote was Psalm 133, I didn't write Psalm 133, but I, I put it to music and uh, my sister was just very cynical about my prospects as a, as a songwriter, I remember, um, she was 14 at that time, and my love for the Psalms hasn't uh, decreased over all these years. And what's so cool about the Psalms is that they're a classic double art form. Their poetry, which is incredible in itself, but they're put to music as well, which is a double, wow, that's amazing. Music and poetry together, absolutely brilliant. And today I want to look at the whole book of Psalms. I've decided to do that by looking at the proclamations in the book of Psalms. A proclamation is a confident announcement. Uh, Proclamations are true and confident and significant declarations about God and the world. And the psalms are absolutely full of them. And I want to look at four proclamation themes in the psalms and then talk about ways we can use these proclamations in our worship and I'm going to give you a go at that at the end. Get ready for that. These aren't just pieces of information. Uh, As we say these things, or even better, sing these lines, these proclamations again and again throughout our whole lives, they become living presences in our minds, in our hearts, and in our worship of God. Theme one, the Psalms proclaim that God is the king of the universe, crowned with an array of glorious virtues. In theology, these virtues are called God's attributes. They include God's power, his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness, his love. But firstly, the Psalms proclaim that God is the king of the universe, we saw that in the psalm we just read. God isn't just a president or the prime minister or a party leader or a general secretary or the chairman. God is king. I don't know about you, but it helps me to think of kingship in mythical terms uh, rather than the ancient uh, kings in the ancient Near East. Um, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. R. Tolkien give a sense of the glory of kingship, which I think gives us a window into the kind of kingship we're talking about with God. In the Psalms, God is king. He has absolute sovereignty over the universe. He made it and therefore it belongs to him. As king, he governs the world and provides for it. And God's word is final. You can lobby God, you can appeal to God for his decisions, but in the end, his word is final. God's word, God's decisions cannot be unmade. Because there's nothing in the universe that's higher up or further back than God. God is the most high. And because God is sovereign over the earth, God is king of Israel, exercising regal power through King David and through David's successes right the way through to Jesus. God has chosen Jerusalem as his royal city and the temple as his palace. And God is also king over all the nations of the earth, the psalms say. And they psalmists call on all the rulers of the earth to fear God and to praise God. Psalm 67, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Think about this, you know, uh, Israel, this tiny nation calling on all the nations of the world to worship and praise their God. <laughs> wow, what a statement of faith. Um, They believed uh, in the covenant that God had made with Abraham. They believed God will shine on all the nations. Just as God had blessed Israel, God's going to bless all the nations through Israel. Just as God has been merciful to Israel when they were slaves in Egypt, God will judge all peoples with equity and guide all the nations of the earth. God is royalty, the king of glory. Glory means weight in the sense of significance, majesty, vastness. And God's glory is something revealed in creation. Psalm 29, as we read, God twists the oaks with lightning so that in the temple all cry glory. The psalmists are awestruck by the glory of the king of the universe. In our culture, glory is associated with athletes and movie stars. Athletes and actors have glory, which mostly means they're famous, I think, and have publicity. But God has true glory, vastness, majesty, supreme power. And what amazes the psalmist is that the king of the universe, with all of this power and all of this majesty, power to shake the deserts and dig the oceans, is also the God who faithfully tends his people like a shepherd. The psalmists know that God is the God of glory, and they know of his majesty. They know he's enthroned in power. They know that all things must do his, his bidding. And they know that God is righteous in his ways. But they also know, as Psalm 145 says, And this is what especially amazed King David. And this is a psalm of David. They also know the Lord is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and rich in loving kindness. God is a God who upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. So this really raises the question, what actually does it, what actually is the thing that makes God so great and so glorious What makes God so great in Psalm 145 is that God still loves a killer like David. God still loves David even after David has broken God's heart. Psalm 145 is a psalm of David, a man who took another man's wife and killed her husband. And this started a whole chain reaction of wickedness that brought Israel to her knees. Why is God so great? And glorious in the book of Psalms. David says, Is that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and rich in loving kindness. He lifts up all who are bowed down. And I think David's talking about the persecuted there, but he's also talking about himself. He has been so bowed down by his sin. God is so great because God loves a sinner like David. King David damaged his own family tree in Israel, but we see that God is the kind of God who takes that damaged tree and brings a shoot out of it so that one day God's own son Jesus will step forward in the line of David, this wicked king. And God will bring great blessing nonetheless. So we know that God is always out to save That God never gives up on people, not even the sinful ones, not even the lethal ones like David. And so many of the Psalms tell the story of God's grace and faithfulness throughout Israel's history. That's why from one generation to another, the people of God join the stars and the angels to sing together and shout for joy. They do this because God will bear any burden, suffer any indignity, And be patient for centuries in order to cause his people to flourish. And one day God will fill the whole creation with the fullness of his glory. We want to shout our praise to this God. So the first proclamation theme is God is the king of the universe. Crowned with an array of glorious virtues. His power, his majesty, his goodness, his loving kindness, his faithfulness and so on. The second theme, uh, the Psalms proclaim that God created and now sustains a wonderful world, not just human beings, but a vast array of non-human creation. The Psalmists are very aware of creation. In the 21st century, we are easily distracted by human inventions, (laughs) iPhones and what have you, and we live with noise and bright artificial lights, even in the Blue Mountains. Our world is a largely manufactured world. But people living in the centuries before Jesus, their entertainment was nature. A lyric, the lyrical song of a lark, the flitting shadow of a fish, the methodical movement of ants, the elegant, elegant leap of a gazelle, the autumn flyby of honking geese. Nature was the big show. The psalmists are constantly amazed by nature because it's not just nature. It's God's good creation. The voice of the Lord is over the water, Psalm 29. The heavens are God's finger work, Psalm 8. That's why the heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19. The psalmist, looking up into the night sky with no light pollution, could really see its glory. And they think about how great God must be to create the brilliance of the moon and the stars. And the psalmists are amazed that God's workmanship is so effortless. Uh, Psalm 33 By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, just by his word. The, their starry host, by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. The psalmists are amazed that God not only created this amazing world, but he did it so easily. Creation reveals God's glory and God's power, but it also reveals God's goodness. God didn't have to create other beings. Nothing inside God or outside of God compelled him to create other beings. It was simply the overflow of his love and goodness, a desire to have other beings to love. Um, It's his hospitality to create space for other beings and other types of beings that he could shower his love on. So he creates all these different entities. Psalm 104 revels in God's good creation. The great lights of the heavens are God's splendid robes. Uh, The great waters were assigned their place by God, uh, and they don't flood beyond the limits that God has placed, except by God's consent. And God quenches the thirst of beasts by the waters he provides Then makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for for people to cultivate. God is the faithful provider who feeds creatures by hand. And the great waters and lights and winds and clouds and the mountains and the valleys and the grasses and the grains and the whales and the lions, all creatures, great and small, speak of the goodness of God. The king of creation whose faithfulness is as predictable as the rising of the sun each morning. The third theme of proclamation in the book of Psalms is the wonderful creation includes human beings created in God's image. The Psalms say many wonderful things about this. Psalm 8 is the most amazing. Uh, it It has bookends... Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God is majestic and he's known to be majestic. But what's so wonderful in Psalm 8 is that God isn't just the Lord, he's our Lord. And the psalmist looks at the night sky and states that our majestic Lord has set his glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? The psalmist is aware that God's majesty is seen in the great array of stars, uh, the bonfires of energy in the night sky. Um, And it's just so vast from horizon to horizon. And how small are human beings In comparison to that, we seem so insignificant, so ant-like. But the psalmist is seized by an amazing thought, tiny and ant-like as we seem. We have this cosmic significance to God. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Yet you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. In fact, you made them rulers over the works of your hands, and put everything under their feet. (laughs) These verses have Genesis 1, 26 to 28 in mind, where God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over everything. God creates human beings in his likeness. In fact, God has crowned human beings with glory and honour, the very traits that mark God's royal self have been placed on us. He has shared with us his glory. He has shared with us his honour and sets glory and honour on us like as our crown. And then just as God is king and ruler over all, God assigns human beings to be his sub-rulers, his sub-kings and queens who are responsible for the non-human creation to steward it and to bring it to flourishing. And this means, you know, we have all these wonderful responsibilities And yet also we have all these wonderful rights. The right to respect, the right to life, the right to a whole range of freedoms. How wonderful is God? How majestic is your name in all the earth? How much have you done for human beings? And then the fourth proclamation group is it's right to praise God for his goodness and glory to praise and thank God. It's right and fitting to praise God. We live in this wonderful world. We've been created by this God. We enjoy this unique status as human beings. And we were made to resemble this wonderful God of majesty, of love, of faithfulness, of power and justice. And so the Psalms call the people of God to praise him, Uh, To praise him for these amazing things. Psalm 33, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Or Psalm 147, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. Psalm after psalm invites us to praise God. We know God is great. We know God is good. And we want to say so. And saying so doesn't seem enough because there's this upsurge of enthusiasm in us. And so we want to yell it from the rooftops. We want to sing it. We want a tune. We want something to express our joy and our exaltation. And so that's why the psalms are songs. And some of the psalms are laments and laments are to be... Um, sung loudly as well. The raised voice of the cry of despair and the cry of pain is also important. But almost all the laments eventually resolve into praise. Even when we can't see any hope, we're in terrible suffering, we continue to hope in God. We continue to praise him because our praise reminds us that he is our only hope. So, the truth is that God created the expanse of the heavens. And so, it's natural for the stars to show their approval, and it's natural for the children of God to shout praise to Him. And God has led Israel out of bondage to Egypt. This is a huge theme in Psalms. We want to shout praise because of that. And God has led Jesus out of Joseph's tomb the second exodus. It's right to praise God for that too. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you because praise is the right response to God's greatness and goodness. It's also incredibly healthy to do. Uh, Do you you know terribly angry people who are just angry all the time and nothing suits them and everyone's against them, and their wife doesn't understand them, their boss doesn't appreciate them, their children don't listen to them, nobody loves them, the traffic, well, drivers don't pull over for me. Uh, And, you know, it's as if their anger has just gone so far into their arteries and into their whole identity as people that if they were to let go of their anger, they wouldn't know who they were, (laughs) you know. (laughs) C.S. Lewis offers us an antidote. He famously said that the praise of God is inner health made audible. God wants our praise, not because it's part of some deal that if you praise me, I'll bless you. Not because God has a weak ego and needs to be built up, but praise is really healthy for us as human beings. Praise is inner health made audible. Um, And unlike an angry person, healthy people find a lot to praise and the Bible says cling to what is good and avoid what is evil and part of how we do that is we keep praising we keep praising God that's how we cling to what is good and we sing our praise because it's through singing that our hearts are changed so finally I want to talk about using psalm proclamations in our worship and give you a go to do it we do this all the time we sing or we speak the psalms in our prayers in our praise whether it's the whole psalm or just a part just a line psalms have been the backbone of christian worship for millennia to call people to worship to acknowledge god's presence with us to confess our sins and assure us of god's forgiving grace as the bookends of prayers, as repeated refrains throughout prayers, as a way to introduce or a way to close prayers. Psalm 124 is a great way to start a prayer. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Psalms are full of trouble. Enemies are everywhere, seeking to entrap, seeking to attack. Waters are raging, uh, rivers are flooding, Mountains are threatening to slide into the sea. There's a pandemic going on. Uh, And it's a whole kind of drum roll of tragedy that is happening. And we're too weak to fight it. And so we begin each day as we pray with something like Psalm 124. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We can't help ourselves, but the one who made heaven and earth. Is our helper. What a great way to start our our praise and our our worship. Psalm ninety-five is a great call to praise, and so many of the Psalms are, are calling to praise. But Psalm 95, wow, come, let us sing for the Lord, for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. So, yeah, use the psalms to to call people to praise, whether that's publicly or calling yourself or in your prayers with your family. Psalm 90 is excellent for acknowledging God's presence. It starts with, in all generations, God is our dwelling place. And this is amazing. God is our dwelling place. He's our home. He's where there's food and rest and a warm welcome. Psalm 90 reminds us of this in a world where flowers fade and loved ones die. And we're, we're mortals and our life is so quickly over. And yet, God is our dwelling place. He is our home. Psalms also help us confess our sins to God, what we've done and left undone. And they remind us that we're confessing to a God who is full of loving kindness and tender mercy. Psalm 103 is my favourite. Uh, because it has, for, for confessing sins, because it has these wonderful assurances of God's grace, like his love is from everlasting to everlasting. As Christians, we don't confess our sins in a vacuum, but inside the cradle of God's love. So Psalm 103 gives us a sequence of assurances. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. God wants us to throw our sins as far as the east is from the west. He wants to absolutely bury them, the bottom of the sea. Um, and, and this is not just so that we don't have to see them anymore or remember them anymore. It's so that God doesn't see them anymore. And that is just an absolutely brilliant and wonderful, incredible thought if you're coming to confess your sins Confessing sin is one of the healthiest things Christians can do. It gets the truth out in the open. Um, We ask for forgiveness and receive it. We're given assurance of God's forgiving grace. Confessing sin is so good. Um, It's like taking out the garbage, I reckon. Like, it it clears the garbage away, but it also is just a, a thing we need to do regularly. Um... Psalm 32, my transgression is forgiven, my sin is covered. These are words that are so powerful. If you're broken and laid down by your sin, my transgression is forgiven, my sin is covered. So Psalm 103 and Psalm 32 I recommend for a time of confession. And of course Psalm 51 And the Psalms are great interspersed in our prayers. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Uh, There's something in the human soul where we delight in inclusios, you know, when you start and end the same way. Or where we love refrains which keep repeating the same thing throughout a prayer. There's something that in our human soul that gives us a sense of security and we delight in it. So, yeah, keep doing that. Like Psalm 136, his love endures forever. What a great thing to repeat through our prayers and our praise. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Or to start and to finish a prayer or praise. And lastly, the Psalms are a great help to keep our focus on Jesus. All the Psalms are ultimately about him. Psalm 2, his baptism, and we're going to do a whole series on these leading up to Easter. Psalm 22, his crucifixion. Psalm 16, his resurrection. Psalm 47, his ascension. But it's not just that. All the the proclamations in the book of Psalms are ultimately about him. He is the king of glory. He is the one who is slow to anger and rich in loving kindness. He lifts up those who are bowed down and who are brokenhearted. He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. He is our light and our salvation. And on and on and on and on. The book of Psalms is about Jesus. As we sing them, we're singing about him. So I want you to get into groups of four to six, hey? Uh, Don't feel you have to pray, just be quiet, If just listen along. If you'd rather go off by yourself uh, or just sit by yourself, please feel free to do that. But groups of four to six, and could you use some of these psalms, some of these lines, uh, or any of the psalms that we've used, or open your Bible and use a psalm, and just spend ten or so minutes praising God using those psalms. And then I'll close when the time comes. Cool.